0: All right, I'm going, like I did last week, I'm going to go ahead and give you the advice of turning directly to 1 Samuel. Uh, the reason I'm going to do that is because while our text verse, the verse that we're trying to understand, is Hebrews 11, verse 32, uh, we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 3 to do that. Uh, so I'm going to give you the advice of going ahead and going First Samuel. Uh, I'll mention two verses though. While you're on your way there, that first of those being Hebrews eleven thirty-two, where we're asked the question, "What more can I say concerning uh, Gideon, Barak, uh, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets?" Uh, and so that's where we're at now. We're at Samuel. We've been through. We've been through those men who I think represent obstacles within faith. Uh, the the first men representing fear doubt self-will disobedience the kind of things that directly confront and get in the way of having faith whereas by time you get to David the focus becomes a little a little bit more about what kind of faith you have uh, as David had a wavering faith faith that was capable of reaching great heights but also capable of reaching great low points Uh, and you see that throughout his life he's a great example of that Uh, No insult to David as a person, it's just that he does represent that in his lifetime. And by the time we get to Samuel, I'll go and say that I'm going to use the phrase childlike faith. Uh, And Samuel, I think we can see what most of us understand, even if it's not necessarily the best term for it. Most of us understand what he represents as being a childlike faith. And the reason why we understand it that way, even though I, I say it's not necessarily the best term, uh, is because in first Samuel, or, I'm sorry, mark chapter number 10, uh, verse 14 and verse 15, Jesus is talking and he says, except we uh, like come like a child or except we receive the kingdom of God like a child, we shall not enter into it. And in those verses, what Jesus is speaking to is that childlike faith, the way that children, when they hear the Word of God, There's not a lot of questioning and rebelliousness and stubbornness and all of this. So in a lot of ways, Samuel is representing a faith that has overcome these things. He's representing a faith that has overcome doubt, that has overcome fear, it has overcome self-will, it has overcome disobedience. Uh, He's representing that kind of faith because while you may not personally know a tremendous amount about Samuel, and I, I see in myself as a pastor, I've not talked about him enough. Uh, Samuel is actually a, a tremendous example of faith in the Bible. He's a, an incredible character. Uh, I mean, he's a judge. He's a prophet. He's a priest. I mean, he's, uh, he does stuff that nobody else does. He's a very interesting man. But the thing that stands out about him is the way in which he believes the Word of God. Uh, and that may sound strange because I could say that about a lot of people. But I think when we get done looking at Samuel, you'll see the way that he believes the Word of God does stand out. So we're going to start in chapter number three of 1 Samuel and verse number one. The first two chapters have been dedicated to explaining why God is going to use Samuel. The first one being about his mother uh, and the prayer that she prayed before God helped her to give birth to him. The second one being about uh, her, her song of thanksgiving, her prayer of thanksgiving to God that come following that. And then the story about Eli's sons. Uh, and their failure and why God is going to take Eli out of the position he's in and why he's going to take his sons out of the positions they're in. So then we get to chapter 3. We get to learn why God uses Samuel. So 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse number 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, And his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. Uh, And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord uh, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord said, Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli, and he said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not know, yet know the Lord, uh, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and he went to, uh, to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. All right, let us Father, we thank you and praise you, God, for all that you do. I pray that you watch over us, help us to serve you. I pray that you take the thoughts of this message. I pray, God, you would take this passage and the others we'll look at tonight and use them to speak to our hearts. Uh, We thank you, God, for what you do, and we ask in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when you come to this exact passage, the phrase that best describes Samuel to us is his response to God. Now, the response is given to him by Eli because honestly, while Eli has so many failures as, as the priest, as the man who's supposed to be leading the people, uh, Eli is a better Bible character than he gets credit for a lot of times. He failed with his sons. He did not do his job. But as far as his personal relationship and faith in God, there's a lot to be commended there. Uh, Especially when you consider that he knows at this point God is going to uh, be replacing him. And he knows even later when he hears it, he accepts it. He says, whatever God deems best, let it be. But I'm not talking about Eli tonight. So let's look at Samuel that if you know what happens... Samuel's mother was barren. She couldn't have children. She made a promise to God that if he would give her a son, uh, she would give that son back to God. Uh, and so it's Hannah. That's where my daughter gets her name from. Uh, is from that character. But Hannah stands out because of that faith, because of the prayer she prays and so forth. Uh, and so she does exactly what she promises God. When God gives her her first son, Samuel, uh, she immediately turns around when he's big enough that he can do this. You know, she waits till he's a few years old so he can go do it. Uh, but she takes him and gives him uh, to be a servant uh, to the house of God. And so that's where we pick up with him at. At this point in his life, he is a young man, of, of a child. Uh, he's a servant to the house of God. Uh, and at this point, they're going to bed at night. Uh, everybody's laying down to sleep and he hears a voice saying Samuel Samuel and so he assumes it's Eli so he goes to run and check on Eli see what he needs Eli says go back to your bed go to sleep I didn't say nothing to you this process repeats again and when it happens the next time Eli realizes that this is God so he gives the advice to Samuel that he needs to go uh, next time God speaks to him he needs to respond, saying, "Here, my Lord. Speak, Lord. Here for your. Ser- speak, Lord, for your servant listens." Kind of mentality. Uh, so we see that, or speak, for Lord, for your for thy servant heareth. Uh, and so we see that when God speaks to him again, Samuel responds with what I consider to be the definition of childlike faith, uh, and that he says, "Okay, here, my Lord. Speak to me. I'm listening." Uh, And that may sound silly to define that as childlike faith, but here's what you have to understand. In the context we just read, that Samuel doesn't really know God. He served in God's temple. He knows about God. That's not what it means. But the personal relationship of what Eli and other men have had where God speaks to them as a prophet, he doesn't have that. Uh, He doesn't have this thing where uh, the Word of God is being given through him to the people. He doesn't have that relationship with God. So as a young man who doesn't really know that much about God, who doesn't even recognize the voice of God when he hears it, he's willing immediately to accept that this is God speaking to me and accept whatever it is that God says to him. In fact, you see his response immediately in verse number 11 when it says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I began, I will make also make an end. For I have told him uh, that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity, which he knoweth because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. And Samuel lay until the morning, and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. So this may seem like a small point. I'm going to be honest. We could go through Eli through Samuel's life and find small instances like this over and over again. But I just want you to see this one as someone who's still new to all of this. like He's just like a child. The first time they're hearing you read a story from the Bible, this is what he's like right now. And his first response is to take it so much to heart uh, that he's... All night long, he's laying there processing what God has said. He gets up in the morning to go to work, and he's still afraid because of what God has said because he's, a, he's afraid of how Eli is going to respond to this. And so maybe let me define a little bit of childlike faith so you can see how this is childlike faith in action because probably another term you could use for childlike faith or what I'm calling that is meekness. It's the kind of faith wherein someone is willing to receive God's Word as God's Word. Because when you get to the point where you have overcome doubt and you have overcome fear and you have overcome disobedience and you have overcome self-will, which is where we're at in all of this, then yeah, the next step is a wavering. It's It's where sometimes your faith is really big and sometimes it's really small. But once we get past that, you get to the kind of faith that we're seeing here. The kind of faith that when I hear the Word of God, I receive it as it is indeed the Word of God. The same thing that we see with the church at Thessalonica and other people throughout the Bible. So that what we're looking at with the character of Samuel is the kind of faith that when I give you a Bible verse, you don't step back and say, well, I, I don't know about that. I think, uh, you know, maybe maybe that's not what it means. and it's But that's what it says, and it should mean what it says. But you see, as long as there's a self-willed faith, whenever the Bible is read to you, there's going to be a part of you, Uh, even if it's not something that directly affects you, many times there's going to be a part of you that balks at that, that says, well, I don't know if that's really the Word of God. As long as doubt is there, there's going to be a part of you that balks at that and says, I don't know if that's really the Word of God. As long as your fear is there to make you afraid to obey the commandments because of whatever consequences might come, there's a part of you that balks at that, that says, I don't know that that's really the Word of God. And so when when we're looking at this character, we're looking at someone who really represents what happens when you overcome that. Somebody who, he's not afraid of the Word of God. He's not afraid to tell the Word of God. He's afraid for Eli and how Eli is going to respond to the Word of God. But questioning if it's God's Word, that's not a problem for him. He knows already this is God's Word. That's why he's so afraid of this, because God has said that he's going to destroy the house of Eli, and no matter how many sacrifices they make, there's nothing they can do to change that. Uh, and Eli knows this to be true, so Eli is also going to respond with a similar faith, because Eli is going to say, "Okay, whatever God says, let it be done. Whatever God thinks is best." But understanding that he's showing us what kind of faith we should approach the Word of God with, because I mean, this is literally—he has the God is speaking to him. This is the audible voice of God telling him, "This is what I am going to do." So this is his response to God's word, and his response is to fear it, not to fear. Uh, because he might get in trouble, but to fear because this is very serious what God has said, and he's afraid of telling it to Eli because he doesn't know how Eli is going to respond. But it's not that he's doubting or questioning or uh, whatever the commandment itself. And so the reason why I label that childlike faith again comes from Mark where he says we are to receive the kingdom of God like a child, which we typically understand as meaning how we believe God's message. It's how we by faith receive the word of God Uh, that's what we typically understand that passage to mean. But the other reason why I choose to use that term childlike faith, even though it's not a a direct biblical term, uh, is because of the fact that we understand this, that when we talk about children and the way they receive something, the faith they put in it, is as an adult, when I tell you something, sometimes I have to have some of the silliest arguments you can imagine because somebody will come and we say, we agree the Bible is the Word of God. And then I give you a Bible verse, and yeah but my opinion well we said the Bible's the word of God so your opinion doesn't matter okay well we said the Bible's the word of God and so I give you the verse and then we say yeah but I don't know preacher you don't understand it's, my life is different it's hard for me but we said the Bible's the word of God so the complications that it imposes upon your life are irrelevant your opinion is irrelevant so self-willed faith and fear should both be out the door your question of, well, I don't really know. Did God really say that? Or you know, are we really interpreting that the right way? Or we, Do we, you know, we really understand that, passage? That doubt should be out the door. If we are settled in our heart that the Bible is the Word of God and we are receiving it as such, that we're receiving it as the Word of God, then nothing else should really matter to us. And so saying that, uh, saying that, uh, we have the issue that So many people approach the Bible never having reached that level of faith. So many people sitting in a church. So the average person sitting in a church, the best most people do is they reach where David was with the the wavering faith. The faith that one day I believe God could overcome every challenge I'll ever have. And the next day, uh, I don't know. I'm so afraid. I don't know what God's going to do. So that's the faith you see of the average person sitting in a church if they reach there. Many are still stuck on self-willed faith. Many are still stuck on uh, disobedient faith where they know that God said it. They believe it. They just don't want to obey it. Uh, Many are stuck there. They never make it this far. But I'll be honest, most of the people you look at in church that you consider to be the most spiritual, the ones who really believe the Bible, they're here. They're not even on the last step. Because that's the thing. That's why we don't see God doing more in people's lives many times than what we do is because we don't make it to the the mountain moving faith of the prophets. We stop on this childlike faith is the best that most people get to. I see most people don't get here. This is if I can be honest, the average church where I'm from, you maybe have one family uh, who I would consider maybe two families who ever reach to the level of a childlike faith. Most of them are still on that wavering faith where God today can take care of me and provide my every need, but tomorrow I don't know what He can do. Uh, Most people stop there. But saying that, this should be where every Christian makes it to, at least at this point. Now, we would all want to make it to this last step we're going to look at next week, but every Christian should at least be able to reach to this. Because a childlike faith is just the absence of self-will, to where I'm willing to receive the Bible as the Word of God, and my personal desires, my personal opinions, my will doesn't get in the way of that where I'm willing to receive the Bible as the Word of God and my doubts and fears don't get in the way of that. And again, why we say childlike is because think about children. If you don't have children, you're not going to be able to relate to this as easy. But anybody who has a child, whether that child is big or small, you have seen them go through this phase at some point in their life because children receive what parents tell them much different than we receive what the preachers and the pastors and everybody else tell us. Children, if I tell them that the Bible says that God created the world in six literal days, it's no problem. God did it. If He said He did it, He did it. I have no reason to doubt that He did it. So I believe Him. I tell that to adults, and depending on their personality, depending on their attitudes, depending on so many little things, uh, that can become a contentious point when it should never be. Like God says it. And if we believe the Bible's the word of God, it should be settled in a moment. It should never have to be debated. Did God create the world in six literal days? but people approach many times with this kind of faith well he said it but I don't believe it so how can I change what he said and so they'll change it to where a day is as a thousand years even though that doesn't work and it's not what the verse says because it says the morning and the evening of the first day that's a literal 24-hour day uh but you see people will approach it with that kind of way or they'll approach it and say well you know there's a gap between verse one and verse two there that the Bible never says but My opinion has to be valid. So uh, I want that gap to be there. So I'm going to make it fit, even though it's not in the Bible. And you may not be guilty of this exact thing I'm talking about, but many people do this with the Bible throughout their life to where you come to something in the Bible that directly affects the way you believe, the way you live, the way you believe, or something about your life. And because of self will, because of doubt, because of fear, uh, because of just a disobedient heart or rebelliousness, whatever it is, you don't accept it as the Word of God. You find some reason to get around that. That's not what we see with Samuel throughout his life. Now, right now, we have not really illustrated that much yet. We just see him as a child, and this statement that defines him shows us this. This statement of, Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. Speak, Lord, I'm listening. That's his statement. That's his statement of faith that defines him as a person. And as a child, he's saying this, but as a man, he still practices this. Throughout the rest of Samuel's life, this is going to be his approach to God and to his word. So that when he hears it, he takes it to heart to the point where he stays up all night because of this. When he hears it, he takes it to heart to the point where he says, Okay, Lord, if you say it, I'm going to listen to you. Now, if we continue reading within the chapter down, uh, I think we pick back up in verse 15. It says, And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it from me. God uh, do so to thee and more if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him every wit and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord, let him do what seemeth him good so this is eli and this is where you see eli had a had a a faith similar and samuel grew and the lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground i want you to pay attention to this verse here in particular because this verse is a source of controversy that now the issue is when you read this and samuel grew and the lord was with him and did let none of his words uh fall to the ground The question is, who is he talking about at the end of the verse? Who didn't let whose words fall to the end of the ground? Now, I'm going to show you if we are Bible believers and we can pick up uh, this King James Bible and believe that it's correct, then I'll show you why it's not complicated. Because there's a simple principle. If you have a phrase that's sandwiched between those commas like that and the Lord was with him, then you should be able to remove that and read the sentence and it would say the same thing as what it says with that. So without it, it would say, and Samuel grew and did let none of his words fall to the ground. So like that, Samuel would be the one talking. We would be hearing, uh, Samuel would be the one we're talking about. This Samuel didn't let any of God's words fall to the ground. He took God's word to heart so much that whatever God told him to do, whatever God led him as a prophet, that's exactly what he did. Now, I believe that's what that verse is saying. The reason I say it's a needless controversy is your improper translations that exist those false translations you find in english many of them have changed it to say that and god let none of samuel's words fall to the ground but it doesn't say that in fact i was curious just to see like maybe if there was some reason why they would translate it like that because again if they're translating from the hebrew then maybe there would be something in the hebrew that would make them desire to translate it that way so i went and checked and in the hebrew it doesn't indicate it all either it's just as blank as what the english is. It doesn't tell you who the last half of the verse is about in terms of what words are used there. So there's no reason. Anybody who's translated it as saying uh, that God didn't let any of Samuel's words fall to the ground, uh, maybe you'll need to let uh, Nicholas know he's louder than he thinks he is. All right. So the people who translated it as saying that God didn't let any of Samuel's words fall to the ground did that because it's their opinion. Like there's nothing in the original language that would make them translate it that way. And as we see that if you translate it directly verbatim, the way it's written in the original, you wouldn't have that either. It would say exactly what it says in the King James Bible, which again is another win for the King James Bible to show you why it's perfect. But the people who did it, did it because it's their opinion that it must be talking about God. But it's two entirely different meanings. If it's talking about God then it means Samuel was such a great prophet that God did whatever Samuel told him to. If it's talking about Samuel, then it illustrates the point we're talking about tonight concerning his character and his faith in God. It shows you that concerning the character of Samuel, when he heard something of God, he did whatever God said. When God spoke to him, he believed whatever God said. He took everything that God said to heart. He believed him word for word, uh, and there was no question nor doubt in any of that. So what we're seeing in the character of Samuel is someone who the Bible is the Word of God. Whatever God says, that's right. Whatever God says, He takes it to heart. He doesn't let any of it fall to the ground. I say, I understand if you're using a a different version, you may struggle with that verse. But if we just take it for what it says, that's what it's telling us. Then in verse number 21, And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And you see, even with Samuel, this is how he gets to know God. It's by God's Word. So the context would add to that, that Samuel was the kind of person uh, that this is what... Verse 20 tells us this is what established him as a prophet in the eyes of all the people. Verse 21 gives us the context that it's his relationship with God, that when he hears the Word of God, he receives it as the Word of God. Now, moving over to chapter number 8, verse number 5. chapter number 8 verse number 5 and said unto him behold thou art old and thy sons walk not in thy ways now make this is israel talking uh, now make us a king to judge us like all the nations but the things displeased samuel when they said give us a king to judge us and samuel prayed unto the lord and the lord said unto samuel hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee for they have not rejected thee but they have rejected me uh, that I should not reign over them, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I have brought I brought them uh, up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods. So do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto my voice; howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king uh, that shall reign over them. So I skipped, of course, a big portion of the story. I'll fill it in with this simple explanation. As time has went on, Israel has asked uh, for God to give them a king, like what other nations have. The reason for this is because Samuel's ki- Samuel's children went the way that Eli's children went. Samuel's children turned evil. They started taking bribes from people, and the people said, "Look, you know Samuel, you were a good judge over us, but we don't want another judge. Uh, we don't want your children to be judges." So. Samuel takes this personally and gets offended, but it's not for his children. He actually doesn't mind that they don't want his children. It's the fact that by choosing a human king, they're rejecting God uh, and they're rejecting him. Uh, So God warns them, don't take it personally. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. Uh, They haven't listened to God from the time they left Egypt till now. So it shouldn't surprise you that they're not listening to him today. But you see Samuel then stands out. And a nation of people who don't want God to tell them what to do, he's the one person who's saying, God, tell me what to do and I will do it. He's the one person saying, Lord, speak to me. Your servant is listening. So this is where you start to see his character more defined, is the nation at this point in time. and, And it doesn't mean good people don't exist. You have Davids and stuff out there in the nation already. But the people who are in leadership over this country, are saying, we don't want God telling us what to do anymore. We don't want the man of God telling us what to do anymore. You let us have a king so we can be like everybody else, and the government will tell us what to do. And Samuel is broken over that. He doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't like it. It's a sad thing for him that the people would reject God and that they would reject God's word, God's man, all the things that God is using to lead them. So God tells him, don't worry about it. And you see, even though this should hurt him, this is very personal for him, He's willing to accept whatever God says. Like God tells him the consequences. God says that them having this king, this king is going to take advantage of them. He's going to profit off of them. He's going to be a hurt to them. And Samuel, knowing that, knowing this is his people whom he loves, if God says that he's going to follow it. This is where you see, like what Eli said, it, let God do whatever seemeth good unto him. Uh, Samuel is doing the same thing in this passage. He's setting his heart that whatever God says is good, that's what he's going to go for. Then when you jump over to chapter number 9 and verse number 15, chapter number 9, verse number 15, Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came uh, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that they may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry is come unto me. And when Samuel saw Saul, uh, the Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I spake spake to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. So I want you to notice that God had warned Samuel a day earlier. I want you to be here because I'm going to bring the man to you who's going to be king. I'm going to bring you a man out of Benjamin. And this is a time, like if there's a time for him to be disobedient or rebellious, this may be it, because he doesn't necessarily like the idea of having a king. But if God says that he's going to support what God says, he's going to obey him and listen. So he shows up there, even though he knows what's going to come tomorrow. If you're there, the king is going to be revealed to you who it is. But here, and again, I'm skipping through a lot of his life, but here's where, again, you see his nature. Even though he was one of the first people to be against the idea of having a king, once God showed him who the king would be and revealed Saul to him, Samuel loved Saul. He gave his heart to try to help Saul. He did everything to push Saul in the right direction. It broke his heart when God said that he was done with Saul because he didn't want there to be a king, but if that's what God's going to do, then he was going to show up and support God and do whatever God told him. He, If this is the way God's going to work, if God's going to put a king, Okay, I may not like it, but I'm going to follow God. And this is, again, something you don't see a lot of people setting in churches ever reach this point. So many people setting in churches can't follow the teaching of the Bible because it disagrees with what they want. And so instead of showing up with the mindset that, okay, if God says it, we'll follow what God says. We get there and we have our opinions about, why well, I don't like this. I think it should be that way. And we're not as petty as to complain because uh, we want to paint the walls this color or we want to paint, you know, nobody threatened to leave the church if we had painted the roof as opposed to the walls because uh, all that stuff was in debate. We're not so petty like that. But so many people, the first time the preacher disagrees with their personal opinion about the Bible. I, I mean, I can tell you, baptism should be one of those things that's pretty straightforward and easy. Like the Bible teaches enough about it. There shouldn't be a lot of debate. It's relatively clear most every point about it. And I have had more people give me trouble over the years over baptism than you could ever imagine. Uh, I've had people who've been in church who disagree with me on doctrines far bigger, I would think, in terms of like these are doctrines that define them, that get upset over baptism. People who disagree on doctrines of salvation. And it's like, if you don't agree with me on salvation, what are you doing here? But yet they... Oh, uh, it doesn't matter if we disagree with you on that. People who disagree with me on the Bible and God's word being perfect. Ah, uh, it's okay, we can get over that. And then something on baptism, so many times things that don't even make sense because it's not even from the Bible. One of the last things I had somebody get upset over with baptism was because they taught a doctrine that's just not from the Bible. It's something you can find in, I don't know where you can find it. You can find it in manner and custom books uh that are written by someone who writes about jewish stuff but not from the bible and so they teach this idea that has nothing to do with the bible you can't find it anywhere near the bible uh you have to go way outside the bible to ever get it and they try to teach as a doctrine and when i confront and say look you you can believe that but i'm just not going to teach that from the church because that's not in the bible they get mad and i become the bad guy so you see what i'm showing you with samuel is he's not that kind of person he's kind of person that even though he wasn't in support of the king when god said this is what we're going to do he said okay if we're going to do it then i'll give my whole heart to it if if this is what god really wants if we're gonna have a king then i'll get in and do it completely maybe the best example I have right now is this building that there's plenty of people who were against buying a building when it came up there's people who were against buying this building when it came up and at some point it shows you a lot about the character of somebody who when it becomes evident that something is god's will you know what we see right now with this building no nobody can question this is God's will for us to get this or at least to be where we are right now doesn't mean God won't change something or do something differently but I mean the money he's given towards this the ways he's answered prayers all the things he's done anybody with even you know about this much faith can come to the conclusion God's doing something there but all those people who had the negative comments and were critical uh about the direction we were going you can tell a lot about their faith and about their character by how they responded once it became clear what God was doing. Because I can tell you, there was people who were negative in the beginning. They worked harder to get this building ready, ready than just about anybody else. Uh, and they never complained. They never, uh, were, they never were upset. But they said, okay, if we're going to go this direction, if this is what God is going to do, then I'm going to jump in their hands, feet first, everything I can. I'm going to do all I can to serve God. And it tells you something about the faith of that person. Whereas other people, you know, here we are months into this thing and they're still sitting back complaining because the pastor didn't do what I wanted him to do. Uh, Why on earth would that pastor listen to God? He should be listening to me. Uh, And that's the mindset mentality of those people. They can't sit back and admit, well, maybe I was wrong uh, and maybe I should support, you know, if this is what God's doing, this is what we should do. And I understand, I'm not asking you to support me as pastor. I can be wrong. But I'm saying once God gives something that's expressed and clear, and this is just an illustration. I mainly mean this about what the Bible says. But when God gives a direction of leadership, like he did with Saul, where he says, this man is going to be king, and Samuel has a personal reason to be against this. He doesn't like it. But yet you see, as soon as God tells him who's going to be king, He's right there doing his job, anointing him. He's promoting him in front of the people. He's helping him. He's supporting him. He's doing everything he can to support what God's doing, even if it isn't what he wanted God to do. And that tells you a lot about the faith and the testimony and character of somebody when they can do that. But most people will never reach that level. And that's sad. It shouldn't be that way. We should reach that point where God's word is enough for us. Whatever God's doing, I'm going to get behind it and support. It. I'm not asking you to support a man with whatever he does. I can do a lot of stuff that's wrong and I can be wrong about a lot of stuff. So I'm not asking you to jump behind me with childlike faith and just support whatever I do and get excited about it and give your full dedication. But when it's clear that the Bible says something, we sh- I shouldn't have to be fighting with you to get you to go along with what the Bible says. If I can show you something is clearly taught in Scripture, we as God's people ought to be able to latch on to that and say, okay, that if the Bible says it, the Bible says this is sin, I'll go clean every bit of it out of my house tonight. I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. I'm not going to wait till the next day. I'll pour it down the drain. I'll clear it out the closet. I'll burn it in the uh, the bin behind my house, whatever. I'll get rid of it if God says it's sin. That's the kind of faith we should have, but the average person will never reach that, and it's not proper it shouldn't be that way we should reach the point where when God says it, that's enough and that's what Samuel is illustrating to us in this same chapter if we jump over to verse 26 and they arose early and it came to pass about the spring of the day that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house saying up that I may send thee away and Saul arose and went out both of them he and Samuel abroad And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, bid the servant pass over on before us. And he passed on, but stand thou still a while that I may show thee the word of God. So even here, I'm just showing you, this is a small point, but just to show you that when he does get to know who the king is, first thing he wants is for the king also to know what God's word is. And then... This is the kind of help he was to Saul throughout his time. To the point that, again, when we, we're we going to jump over to chapter 16, but when we get there and he's having to anoint the new king, if you were to go read the chapters between chapter 9 and uh, chapter 16, you'll find that Samuel is more broken over losing Saul as a king than most people are. Uh, he didn't want him as a king, but if that was the man God gave him, he was going to support him. He was going to do his best to support him but the moment that god shuts the door even though he's become emotionally attached to Saul at this point as soon as that door closes he's also moving forward and first samuel shows us a little bit more again as chapter 16 a little bit more about his faith and about his character verse number one. First samuel chapter number 16 verse number one and the lord said unto samuel halt, how long without mourn for saul seeing i have rejected him from reigning over israel fill thine horn with oil and go I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. So you notice something. God tells you that he was mourning for Saul. He didn't like the idea of getting a king, but he also didn't like the idea of losing him because once he saw that's what God was doing, he put his full support there. And even though Saul was not a good king, Saul disobeyed, Saul had his faults. As long as God was using him, Samuel was supporting him. And now as God tells him, I've got another king even though he had a personal connection in all of this, this man had become his friend over time, and it hurt him personally to do this, he says, okay, I will do what God says. So just like when it hurt him personally to anoint a king, now as he's being told to anoint a new king, even though it personally hurts him to do that, he's still going to follow God. It doesn't matter what his emotions say in this moment. It doesn't matter what his heart is saying in this moment. His self-will is dead his disobedience and rebelliousness is dead his doubt where he's not he's not sure if god really wants it's dead his fear it's dead in fact well fear may not quite be but it dies in the next verse so i'll show you where the fear dies i won't get ahead of myself uh verse number two and samuel said how can i go if saul hear it he will kill me and the lord said take an heifer with thee and say i come to sacrifice to the lord so he does have fear still but it dies before he gets to david in this moment, he says, if I go to Bethlehem with anointing oil with me, then there's going to rise up the question, why is Samuel going to Bethlehem? What's going on? So God says, well, just take you a heifer, you know, take you a, a cow uh, so that when you get there, you can offer up a sacrifice unto God. And if you're there to make sacrifice, nobody's going to ask any questions why the priest came to make sacrifice. Uh, so he takes the cow and he, d- he goes. He does what he's told. He's going to go give the sacrifice. But when he gets there, God sends him to the house of Jesse. And here's where the last point I'm going to give you to show you his faith. So far we see him in just this chapter. Again, we could have went verse by verse throughout his entire life and saw this over and over again. In just this chapter, even when it goes against his own wants and his own desires, he follows God. Even when it's at his own risk and it's dangerous to him, as we see in verse 2, he follows God. But you see from verse 7 to 13 when they're bringing the sons of Jesse before him, and he's looking at them and he's saying, oh man, this one's big, he's strong, he's smart. Uh, This guy should be the king. Uh, And God says, don't look on the outward appearance, but look on the heart. Uh, And God says, no, it's not that one. So he's going through Jesse's sons and his opinion is this, his opinion is this, his opinion is this. And every time God says, no, your opinion is wrong, until he gets to the least likely of choices, the little shepherd boy that his own daddy didn't even think he was worth bringing into the choice. And then David comes, and when God says it's this one, God just shut down his opinion over and over again. I mean, we just went through all of David's brothers. And so one, two, three, four, you know, we're going through it and it's, no, you're wrong. Your opinion's wrong. Your opinion's wrong. Your opinion's wrong. I mean, you get mad if I tell you your opinion's wrong one time. If I tell you it's wrong three times, you're ready to murder me. Uh, if I was to go through that many times of telling you your opinion is wrong, uh, it might can you can't even make it to two brothers. You're ready to murder after one. Don't give me that. Uh but if i go through the list like what god has just done with him of telling him over and over again your opinion is wrong most people are not going to step back and say okay god then what is right that's what he does and god says we're going to pick somebody who makes no sense to you i'm going to take a child who's ruddy and a fair appearance you know he's just a handsome little boy uh who again his own daddy didn't even think it made sense to bring him into this discussion who's out there watching the sheep he's just a lowly shepherd I'm going to bring him in, and he's going to be the king. So we're going from a man who's head and shoulders over all of Israel, a man who just looks like he should be a king, who looks like people should get behind him. I mean, outward appearance-wise, Saul's about as good as you're going to get. Uh, And we're going to go from him to a child, uh, and that's going to be your new king. And everything inside of Samuel is probably screaming, this is ridiculous, on a human level. But we never see that because it never manifests. If it's true at all, it, he, he shuts it down fast because his faith in God is so great that if God says David's king, then David's king. If God says David's a better choice than Saul, David's a better choice than Saul. It doesn't matter that I've grown attached to Saul over the years. It doesn't matter that in spite of all his flaws, I don't want to see him go. If God says David is king, David is king. And if God says he's better than Saul, he's better than Saul. If he says he's better than all these brothers, he's better than all these brothers. Whatever God says is right. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. It doesn't matter how I feel about this. It doesn't matter how it affects me personally. And this is where you see that I say most people never reach the kind of faith we see in Samuel. Because most people can never get past the point to where how it affects me personally doesn't matter. Most of the reason people get out of church and get away from God and don't want to read their Bible, most of the time is because there's some sin Or some personal thing in their life that the bible contradicts it goes against that and they don't like it most often the reason why people question the authority of the bible the perfection of it the reason why they don't want to believe that there's a perfect bible is because there's something in their life they don't want to get rid of and if they can get rid of that verse of the bible then they can keep that thing Uh, and so it's sin deep down within the heart of the person that keeps them and most people can never get past my personal Affection for this, the way I'm affected by it, the way I feel about it. They can never get past that to simply follow God. But we see that this faith that we should be trying to attain, what I have labeled childlike faith, whether it's the best label or not, this faith we should be trying to attain is that kind of faith that I will say is like a child. Because I can tell you something I teach my children the Bible every day, at least twice a day, morning and evening. And I can tell you whenever we come to something in the scripture, even when their their judgment, their best judgment they can manifest would tell them that this is probably wrong. Like I'm Emily's at the age where she questions and doubts stuff. She's Lori's daughter, so she's always going to be negative and doubt stuff. She just can't help it. She tries. Unlike Lori, she tries not to be, Uh, but uh, she can't help it. It's just the way she is. I can see you. Uh but for example we'll talk about Noah's flood and she'll say I don't know if I believe the whole world flooded but then when we stop and talk about it as soon as she confronts herself with God said it okay then I accept it even though five minutes ago it was hard for me to believe that five minutes ago the idea of the whole world being covered in water is something I can't process or imagine once you settle if God says it, I'm going to believe him that's it I mean, a child can do that. A child doesn't have much trouble with that because they're not beaten down and so proud and arrogant and scornful and all these things that we become over age uh, that they can't be taught. They're willing to receive, they're willing to listen. They can be a little stubborn. Even the stubbornness of children, though, uh, many times can have the kind of faith where they're willing to hear whatever God says and say, okay, I believe that. You say that God parted the water and it was like a wall. Okay, I'll believe that. That's not a problem. But as an adult you struggle with it because your better judgment must be better than god's word because your personal opinion about this must be more important than god's word because scornfulness sets into the heart and we don't want to give up things in our life and so forth but a child normally doesn't struggle with that a child i tell them to jump from a high place and i'm going to catch them they may struggle with fear for just a little bit, but sometimes they get over the fear before you're ready to catch them and you better get ready fast uh, because they get over that fear fast. An adult, I can spend the next six years trying to get you to get over fear to obey God. Uh, I can spend the rest of your life trying to get you to get over personal fears so that you'll obey God. Uh, a, a child, they can get over rebelliousness real quick to obey God. An adult, that rebelliousness will get them out of church. It'll get them away from God. They'll put up the Bible. They'll do everything except for listen to God many times. A child, when it comes to self-will, yeah, this may be what I want to do. This may be what I think is best. But they'll throw it away quick when they realize that the Bible disagrees with them if they accept that Bible is the Word of God. And children, it's not so hard for them. But adults, again, I'll fight with you for the rest of my life sometimes on stuff because people just don't want to give up their opinions for the Word of God that doubt that question of you know did how did the world flood did that really happen well a child has no problem understanding that if god wanted to flood the world he can flood the world if he can create it it's not so hard for him to flood it Uh, a child has no problem with that it's us adults that have a hard time with accepting anyone who's powerful enough to speak a world into existence there's nothing in the world that's too hard for him it's the grown-ups that have a hard time with that children don't struggle with that very much but we do so you see, that's why I use the term childlike faith is because a childlike faith has no problem with if God says it, that's it. doesn't matter how it affects me. doesn't matter how afraid of it I may be. It doesn't matter how much it goes against my opinion. If God says it, that settles it. It's as simple as that. And that's the kind of faith that we see with Samuel. Even as an old man, he has that kind of faith. When God tells him his own children are rejected and God's not going to let them judge Israel or, or rule over Israel like he did, he doesn't get upset about it. He never even, he, he's not, I mean, he says less about it than Eli did. And Eli handled it as good as you could ask. I mean, Eli was brokenhearted. He died because of what happened to his sons. Uh, but Samuel hand, handles it better than Eli does. Uh, when God says your friend who's king is not going to be king, he mourns for it. But he obeys God and takes God's word and says, if God's doing this, I'm going to jump in and support him. And that's the kind of faith we should be trying to attain to. Now, we should go beyond this to the mountain moving faith we can talk about with prophets. But just for tonight, we should be trying to attain and reach at least a childlike faith where if God says it, that settles it, it's enough. I can follow him. If he's doing it, I'll get behind him and I'll support him 100%, whether it's what I like or not. That should be the kind of faith we approach God's work with. Father, we thank you and praise you, God, for what you do. Pray that you watch over us, helps to serve you, Lord. I thank you for your blessings and for your goodness. I pray that you just take each thought that's been given here tonight, use them to speak to the hearts of people. I pray, God, that you just help us, Lord, that in each of our lives we would see a need to be more faithful unto you, uh, Lord, and that we'd be more trusting of you. That God, whatever you say, we'd be willing to obey, Lord. Uh, we would have meekness in the way we approach your word. We ask it in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I appreciate you being here. It's fun. You can close up that live stream.